Okay, so uh, this morning we're going to be uh, landing the plane, talking about God's role for his family, uh, the mission of Jesus in the world, um, in the way of Jesus. So last night we talked about the family, the new family, uh, who are rooted in Christ together. Um, and this morning we're going to be talking about our family job which is to be the mission of Jesus in the world in the way of Jesus. So this morning we're going to be in Colossians 4, um, and I'm going to read 2 through 18, and I'm going to pray for us. Paul says, Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the word, to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains so that I may make it known as I should. Act wisely towards outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. Tychicus, our dearly loved brother, faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know how we are, and so that he may encourage your hearts. He's coming with Onesimus, a faithful and dearly loved brother who is one of you. They will tell you about everything here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you greetings, as does Mark, Barnabas's cousin, and so does Jesus, who is called Justice. These alone are of the circumcision are my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. He is always wrestling for you in his prayers so that you can stand mature and fully assured in everything God wills. For I testify about him that he works hard for you, for those in Laodicea and for those in Hierapolis. Luke, the dearly loved physician, and Demas send you greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters in Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her home. After this letter has been read at your gatherings, have it read also to the church of Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And tell Archippus, pay attention to the ministry you have received in the Lord so that you can accomplish it. I, Paul, am writing this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you again for bringing us together around your word. Thank you for rooting us in Jesus. Thank you for giving us a family. Thank you for giving us a mission in this world. Thank you for giving us the hope of the resurrection. This morning, as we're together, would you speak to us? Would your spirit be in our midst, stirring us up to understand your word, illuminate it uh, to us, not only to our minds, but to our hearts and to our hands and to our feet out into the world. God, would you speak um, and would we listen in Jesus' name? Amen. Amen, Amen, y'all. God's family is the vehicle to restore the world. And that vehicle is fueled through prayer, through witness, and through suffering. And so we're going to give a close eye to suffering this morning here at the end because of its unique role in the life of the saints. Uh, Jesus suffered greatly to see the inclusion of the outsider, uh, which the poor in Israel and the Gentiles. Paul did too. Uh, His mission was to the Gentiles. And the testimony of God's word calls us to do the same. 
um, because suffering makes us like Jesus uh, and is the only way to include outsiders. So if we look back at Colossians 1, 24, Paul says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for you. He says, I, and I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body, that is the church. So he says he rejoices in his sufferings for this body of believers, completing what is lacking. Now, nothing is lacking really in Jesus, but what he's really saying is that Jesus suffered, and when Jesus ascended, he passed on this baton to us to finish the race through suffering and to suffer for the growth of the family, the church to suffer for the inclusion of who was formerly the outsider. Now remember, we erased the line. Mm-hmm. Now we're suffering for the greater inclusion. And in Paul's case, this included the Gentiles. His whole ministry was about proclaiming the gospel of inclusion to the Gentiles. In our case, it includes any outsider to the church. It includes the poor. It includes the LGBTQ community. It includes the skeptic. It includes the uneducated. It includes the single mama who I believe is the modern day biblical widow. Who is it for you? Who is it for your specific church? Um, And so I don't want to get too ahead of myself with that, but we want to look at all three of these this morning. Prayer, witness, and suffering. I'm going to try to be real structured since it's a Sunday morning and be all sermon-like. So we're going to look at these three, prayer, witness, and suffering in this passage in Colossians 4. And I know that it's usually uncommon for, you know, to like spend time camped out in like a greeting or, uh, you know, a genealogy. Like I'm that person. I'm like, I love genealogies. I love these lists of names because there's something. These people were actually actual people, right? Like, and they have stories. And the fact that they're together sheds light on the context and the purpose even of Paul's ministry. So we're actually going to spend time talking about this squad uh, as we finish Colossians. Um, And so as we begin, we're going to be talking about, like I said, prayer, witness, and suffering. In the context that Crystal and I met in St. Louis, we were a part of a church called New City Fellowship. And uh, the church had a, a unique eye towards the poor And called um, us as the body of Christ to sacrifice, to give, to witness, to love, to be in community with the poor among us. And my small group, there was this couple, the Goodwins, Anthony and Maggie Goodwin. And they began to be a part prayerfully of the prison ministry. Um, They would just really prayerfully, like they would go and they would pray for the prisoners uh, weekly and ask God for doors to be open for them to continue to build fellowship and relationships and share the gospel with the prisoners. Well, one of those individuals was released um, from the uh, county jail and came to join their community group, their small group. Mm -hmm. So they got in context and relationship with this woman and through that relationship, they began to meet her needs, right? They began to build fellowship and relationship with her. They began to witness to her through the fruit of their prayers. They got an opportunity to witness to her. And she was getting out of this toxic relationship, um, was looking for a job, was looking for stability. Anthony and Maggie began to lend her their truck to drive to work, to be able to get to where she needed to be, to be able to take care of her kid. Um, And one day, the truck was gone, 
Their friend was gone. They had no idea where she was. They went from being in community with this sister to having no clue what happened and having a pretty good indication that they had been stolen from. Uh, turns out later, they, they found out that she had picked up this old boyfriend and the kid and had taken the truck and was like long gone. They were like in Florida, crazy, gone. Prayer, witness, and then suffering as a part of their mission in the world to reflect Jesus. Now God's mission for them at the beginning was fueled by prayer. Prayer fuels the saints and prayer fuels the mission. And we see as we look in Colossians 4, Paul gets right out the gate in verse 2 with prayer. Prayer fuels the saints. He says, devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert with it in thanksgiving. John Onwuchekwa, the pastor that I've mentioned before, he's a really great author. He wrote a book on prayer and he says, I'm going to quote it, prayer is oxygen for the Christian. It sustains us. So it follows that prayer must be a source of life for any community of Christians. It is to the church what it is to individuals, breathing. Yet many of our gatherings could be likened to people coming together merely to hold their collective breath. This would explain why people seem to have so little energy for actually living out the Christian life. We can't run a marathon holding our breath. This life is meant to be devoted and fueled by prayer. Our life as saints fueled by prayer. So is your family here devoted to prayer? Is it devoted to prayer like it's really necessary for the Christian life, both for witness and for unity? What are the things that you are praying for collectively? Is it, does it tend towards a grocery list of temporal needs? Or do you truly believe that when Jesus told the disciples to pray like this, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, he really meant pray your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Are you willing to pray in that way? Praying against the lies of tribalism and camps that seek to divide our unity? Are you willing to pray as a married person for God to break down the idols of that isolated family line structure and allow him to set the lonely among you? Are you as a young professional willing to pray that God would use your time, your energy, your talents for his purposes, even if it contradicts maybe career advancement on the fast track? What are the things that you're praying for collectively that reflect God kingdom come kingdom family values here in our midst on earth as it is in heaven? So he says, devote yourselves to prayer. And I think of like devotion is like this, this impassioned, action-fueled love, right? So uh, do we love praying together? Do we love it? Um, do you love praying together or does it feel sometimes slow or maybe even boring? So because it's about love, here are some ways to spice up your prayer life. Uh-huh. <laughs> Pray together walking. Pray on the phone. In the morning, my co-host Toshiba and I, we get on the phone anywhere from 10 minutes to an hour. <laughs> we get carried away. Um, but we just check in, right? What's going on with your day? What are you trying to do? What are you trusting the Lord for? Let me pray for you. Let me pray for us and trust our to-do lists and our hopes and our fears to the Lord for each day. But I do that while I'm washing my morning dishes or I'm folding the laundry or, you know, walking a kid to school. Pray on the phone. 
spray ping pong style, right? Like we, you maybe you're familiar with popcorn style. It's like one person prays one thing or another. I call it ping pong style because you can, you know, have an extended time of prayer and then the other person picks up and then the other person picks up and then the other person picks up. I used to pray like that with a sister I was in France with and it was just, yeah, it was, it was, it was joyful. Um, sing and pray together. I mean, this is a reflection of even what we saw earlier in Colossians 3. We're praying, we're singing, we're worshiping, we're admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. can all be intertwined. Pray, sing, pray, sing, back and forth. Talk back to each other in prayer, okay? I'm like presbycostal, right? So I enjoy a good talk back, right? And we can talk back to each other in prayer, just like you would in a good phone conversation, right? Like how awkward would it be if I was on the phone and you were talking and it was just silent on the other end? I mean, maybe you do that, but I'm like, mm-hmm, yeah, girl, yeah, yeah. Free, free yourself up to talk back in prayer like you would in a good phone conversation. And in that way, you might find joy in devoting yourselves to prayer. And in that, Paul says, stay alert with thanksgiving. Stay alert Remember how the disciples fell asleep, right? And their lack of alertness was actually a clear warning of how they were about to be tempted to fall away. Mm. We're all tempted to trust in other things in our walk with Christ. There's, I mean, what is that song? My heart is prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, right? That's me, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. So so devote yourselves to prayer, staying alert in it with thanksgiving. And by praying together, we are staying alert. We're staying alert for any temptation, like with the disciples, that would disrupt our unity and our witness and praise God that Jesus has already gone before us in that, right? When the disciples failed and fell asleep, Jesus prayed all night. And before that, he prayed for the disciples to persevere and prayed before that for the unity of all believers. So we can take hope that Christ has gone first in all things, even in devoting to prayer, staying alert, And being thankful. And so we pray in this way with thanksgiving. And thanksgiving I think of as like the proper seasoning, right, for our prayers. My uh, eight-year-old Clark that y'all saw on the screen the other day is, um, he has a mature palate, I'll say. Okay. In the morning for his breakfast, he has avocado toast with everything bagel seasoning literally every morning. That's his breakfast. And not your typical eight-year-old, right? Um, But if we're out of avocado bagel, uh, if we're out of everything bagel seasoning, and I just try to pitch it to him with the avocado, he's like, that's that's disgusting, right? It kind of like, it's like tastes like just you're eating like calories fat. I don't know. Um, But with the seasoning on it, he's like, this is a whole complete experience. This is a palatable meal. And so as we stay alert, as we enter into prayer with thanksgiving, thanksgiving is, uh, giving thanks is like the, it, it fills out our prayer life, right? It opens up our senses to the delight of this missional life that we have and what Christ has done, what he continues to do among us, reciting it to each other through thankfulness. So prayer fuels the saints and prayer fuels the mission. See, if we look in Colossians, we see that Paul and Timothy know that through prayer, God is opening doors for the gospel to be proclaimed. He says, pray also for us that God may open the door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. And God opens these doors, especially through suffering. And I think about that devotion of prayer, which fuels the mission. I was telling some of you guys yesterday about um, the role that I have with uh, Mama Strong Ministry within New City Cleveland 
It's a way for us to come alongside moms who are vulnerable through birth support, childbirth education, um, and mamahood care. And uh, we've experienced a lot of opposition from our community. In fact, the public housing complex, they have this brand new community center right in the middle of it. I mean, it's like newer, right? And the public housing complex is, is really bad. Like it actually hasn't been renovated since it was built in the 1930s. And there's a real frustration there. Yeah, in the midst of it, right? There's this community center, right? It's a resource for our residents, for our neighbors. So I went there, my mamas mostly live in the public housing complex. I said, can we meet in the community center? And I was met with this response. Oh, we don't let residents reserve the community center. What? I'm like, who's it for, right? (laughs) And um, so in that frustration, right, I go back to our leadership team. I'm like, y'all, we got to pray. We got to pray. We really have to pray. We went to our office, which felt like an upper room because it's above a subway. (laughs) And we just prayed, y'all. We prayed. We asked the Lord to open the doors. We asked for provision. We asked for resources. Later that day, somebody uh, gave us a donation of over $2,000. Later that day, we also received a huge donation of diapers and wipes for our moms. And a couple weeks later, right, as we continue to vote to devote ourselves to prayer, I now have a meeting on the books with the manager of the community center. So pray. We devote ourselves to prayer because prayer fuels the mission. None of that stuff I could have done or figured out. I was just mad. I was about to blow the place up. Like, y'all are ridiculous. (laughs) Not really. Um, But really, truly devoting ourselves to prayer. God cares, right? He loves these mamas more than I do. He cares about them. Being supported and being seen. Um, And so prayer fuels that mission. God can move. And so for many of you, your mission fields are your jobs, your families. What is your mission field? And so in your mission, what does it look like for it to be fueled through prayer towards, towards what? The mission, the mandate, this cultural mandate, right? Of being fruitful and multiplying and filling the earth, like we said. So are we praying in that way for God to fuel uh, the, the transformation of both people and systems in our jobs to be changed by the gospel, to see that fruitfulness and multiplication of both believers and resources for God's world, to see those wild places tamed. And so God's mission is fueled by prayer. God's mission is propelled also by witness. Witness is displayed through our actions and our words. So we look in verse 5, Paul says then as an exhortation, act wisely towards outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. The call to act wisely, to make the most of our time. And so what's significant about this is that uh, Paul is talking right in light of the church of Colossae, What's the context of Colossae, right? They're not these traveling missionaries or apostles. They're just citizens, uh, citizens of Colossae, an urban city center, much like you guys, right? It's full of, the church is full of folks with jobs, community responsibilities. Um, Think about how, quote unquote, ordinary their lives might be. And yet the gospel shows up through action in these everyday ordinary spaces. Think back to what we said the family of God puts on. Compassion. Kindness, humility. In everyday life, we clothe ourselves with Christ 
to act in a way that reflects Christ in such a stark, dark world, right? And as we put that on, it, it, the contrast is stark. Those moments really do give an opportunity for the gospel to illuminate um, and point to gospel freedom. So I exhort you, as Paul exhorts the Colossians, act wisely in your job, at coffee shops, in a classroom, in a library, in a museum. Act wisely, making the most of your time, not squandering on a self-preservation. Amen, I tend to do that. But using every opportunity to demonstrate the actions of mercy, grace, and humility that reflect our family. Like, that would be so radical, right? That would be so radical. And not all of us are called to, like, sell our possessions and become a missionary in Cambodia, right? But it might look like scooting over on the train to make space for someone else. Mm. Or paying for the coffee drink for the mama in front of you who's, like, juggling kids and looking like she's about to be at her wit's end. Making the most of that time, those times, using every action to put the gospel on display. Mm. And that is, like, the wild thing about, like, us as urban Christian women. Y'all are urban Christian women. Uh, we never lack these moments where we're bumping into other people. And especially in D.C., like, your population density is insane. Y'all have people on people on people. And most of your time is spent with people, right? Like, every time you leave the house, you're going to see people. So you have lots of occasions to act in the family values as a witness in your context. And most of the time, as you encounter people outside of your church life, right, they're going to be the outsiders, so are we living in this way that honors the person as an image bearer, right, through those actions? So our witness is displayed in our actions, and our witness is also displayed in our speech. He says, uh, again, let your speech be seasoned with graciousness, seasoned with salt, so you may know how to answer each person. And so inevitably, as we act wisely among the world and non-believers, it's going to lead to opportunities for us to speak truth, Right. Rarely do the actions, especially done in the context of a relationship, not open the door to speech too. Think about your coworkers. Think about your kids. You know, the saying like, what is it? Like, um, preach the gospel, if necessary, use words, right? Like, I mean, okay, that's cute. Might delete later. It's debated, <laughs> right? But I say, preach the gospel, and after you do, use words, right? After you do, use words. And your words are seasoned with this salt. What is salt, right? Salt is a preservative. It's used to keep and, and preserve what is good. Um, salt is an enhancer. It's used to pull out that flavor that's good. What if our speech bore the flavor of an everlasting kingdom? What if our speech preserved the hope of an everlasting kingdom? So this, this salt analogy, we see it in other places in scripture. And this is just a side note, but um, so Lot's wife, y'all know like she was turned into a pillar of salt. And I was always very curious about that. Um, and then Jesus later refers to it um, when he says, you know, um, whoever preserves his life will lose it. And that's like a pun on words because as she sought to preserve her life by looking back, she was turned into a little pre literal preservative. Wow. <laughs> So God is ironic. <laughs> and then the salt that, that illuminates and pulls out the flavor, I think about Stephen um, and the Ethiopian eunuch, right? The, he's going along and he's reading, he's trying to understand it, and he's like, okay, let me illuminate right where you're at, and let me pull out the hope, right, the flavor of what is in this scroll that you're reading. So we allow our, our speech to be seasoned with that salt, 
so that we know how we should answer each person? What if our speech to outsiders really did reflect that compassion? What if we became such students of God's word that we understood the nuance of it in order to share a true and effective hope that connects with people and connects with compassion, right? I think of, I learned um, a new, I've discovered a new Bible story about Rizpah. Y'all know about Rizpah? Okay, so Rizpah. Uh, lived in the time of the kings and King David. Uh, actually, was she was between Saul and David. And uh, she was the mother of one of the sons that was killed uh, that Saul executed vengeance on, right? And so in David's time, she actually was like, this is unjust, this is unfair. She went to the hill where the bodies were and she literally laid there for months protecting them from crows and ravens. I'm like, you are straight up in the wilderness as a woman. But it was like a, an ancient day protest because it drew the attention of King David. And he's like, what is going on? She uses that moment to share about this injustice and David restores. He does what's right. It's just radical, right? And, and, and that story, like when I learned it, I was like, whoa, like this is, think about our mamas who are losing their babies daily to police violence against black and brown bodies, right? The moms who are, who are standing up and proclaiming this injustice, as we come alongside moms who have experienced such loss at the hands of injustice, we call out the image of Rizba, right? Like in that, we give comfort. Knowing the nuance of God's word allows us to connect with compassion in that context and give comfort. And lastly, God's mission is shaped through suffering. Paul suffered to bring down the wall and include the Gentiles, like we talked about yesterday. And we know Paul suffered, first of all, because the letter was written from prison, okay? And why was he in prison? He was imprisoned for proclaiming this gospel of inclusion for the outsider. His suffering makes known the mystery of the gospel, Right? He says, this is the gospel in 124, for which I am in chains. So how does Paul make known this mystery? He makes it known by suffering for the outsider and by going to the outsider. This suffering that's expressed in the mystery of the gospel is this manifold, multicolored wisdom of God that God's hope and God's rescue is for all people and inclusion of a multi-ethnic family, multifaceted family for God. So then what does suffering mean to us? To make the gospel known as I should, as he says in Colossians 4.4. 4. And so what does it look like for us to make the gospel known? Well, we talked about yesterday, that oneness, right? Unity. Also, humility, right? To take a posture of being uncomfortable in order to express hospitality and to provide comfort to others. You know for you what that looks like, Right? I don't know your story, but you know for you, if you take a moment with the spirit, what it looks like to stay in a place that is uncomfortable in order to extend hospitality and comfort towards others. And that's like a like 101 level of suffering, right? To just take myself out of self-preservation and self-comfort for the sake of others, that is suffering, right? When we open up our homes to someone who is not like us or who we have a hard time connecting with, like those are little 101 places to enter into suffering, would God bring us deeper in? Mm -hmm. 
Christ compares the advent of his kingdom to a woman in labor, right, struggling with all her might to give birth. And he intended this to be an image for the church. It's the purpose of the church to give birth to more Christians, right? It's not just an institution. Uh, The church is a living organism. The church is like a mother whose relationship to Christ is meant to be fruitful and multiply, right? The purpose of our lives is not just to sort of satisfy our own faith needs, but to reproduce God's image in the world, both through people and resources. And so Christ gives his life to us, the church, so that we might generate more life. And that is going to be through suffering. And we can believe that, like, um, the Jesus Storybook Bible author, Sally Lloyd-Jones, I love how she says at the end that Jesus is coming to make all the sad things untrue. Then just maybe there's enough hope for us to see ourselves through in those seasons of suffering. And so we pursue and entrust the Lord that even in suffering, he's moving his kingdom forward. And so through this, like Paul models both prayer, all prayer, witness and suffering to include the outsider uh, in these in this call and in this greeting. Right. In fact, he if we look at this squad, like he's rolling with this squad of outsiders who he has suffered for and he has suffered with who he has prayed for and who he has prayed with, who he has witnessed to and who he has witnessed with. So we're just going to take a little second to look at the roll call of these folks and I'm just going to call out who they are. And what we know, we know some things about them. This is the squad. So as you think of yourselves going out in mission to the world as a family, these are the types of people, right? These are, this is the squad. This is the, this is the mismatched batch of family like the bakers and cheaper by the dozen that you're sent out with. Paul shouts out to Tychicus, his dearly, his dearly beloved brother, faithful minister. Tychicus is an Asian brother. Trusted preacher, loyal friend, right? Paul calls out Onesimus. Onesimus used to be a slave. He used to be poor. Aristarchus, a fellow prisoner. This is his ride or die who's suffering with him. Who is that person who's with you in those lanes of suffering, whether laying aside comfort or being taken advantage by others for the sake of the gospel? That's his Aristarchus. Mark is like people used to can't be able to stand. Because if you remember earlier in Acts, right, Paul and Mark, they went separate ways. They were like, we cannot roll together. And yet, I think it was, it's like over 25 years later, they're together again. There's this power of reconciliation. Who are your people to whom you are being reconciled for the sake of the witness? Jesus, who's called Justice, he's formerly of the circumcision. This dude laid down his social privilege Um, to go proclaim the gospel and to actually then be persecuted for leaving this inner circle of the circumcision party. So who are your people who are choosing to lay down ethnic privilege, social privilege, to roll in this family? Mm -hmm. You've got Epaphras, right, who is uh, taking, who is taking his energy and his time to build up this church. You've got Luke, right, the beloved disciple, the physician who's harnessing his skills at a high professional level um, and using the way that God has wired him to witness to the church, who are your people who are harnessing their careers and the gifts that God has given them for the witness? 
Then you have uh, Demas. This one dude struggles to stay faithful. During Paul's first imprisonment, Demas is there. And like during the second one, he like dips out, right? And Paul writes later like about this betrayal, right? So who are the people that you're taking risks on? We don't know. We can't control the outcome. But taking risks in the family of God is inherently part of being in that family. He calls out Nympha, the only woman on the list. Okay, shout out. Uh, she leverages her money, her prestige to provide hospitality and a place for the church to meet and leadership to her church. Who are the women here in this room who are ready to leverage hospitality for the sake of the witness of the church? And then he calls out Archippus, this next generation dude. He's the next generation. He's the up and coming. He's the, the son of Apephia and Archippus who hosted the Laodicean church in their home, right? And so he calls out to him, even at the end, he's like, yo, I got a word for the next generation, Pay attention to the ministry you have received in the Lord so that you can accomplish it. Who's the next generation in your church? Young adults, kids, that you can call out in them. Listen to the mission God has given you. Follow it. Let's exhort the next generation. And as we do, we will continue to see, not only through prayer, through witness, and through suffering, God's kingdom coming, both here and as we press out to the world. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we rejoice. (laughs) You've given us such a good time together that we could not have written on our own. We couldn't have made it up if we tried. Uh, But you are here. Your spirit is with us. Your love unites us. And so we say thank you, God. We say thank you for the word that you planted in our hearts. May it bear fruit in our lives. And may that fruit feed our communities and multiply. Lord, Give us unity of love. Give us a passion for prayer. Give us an eye for using every moment wisely as we act and speak for the sake of the kingdom. And give us steadfastness in suffering as we look for the ways to step aside from self-preservation and selfishness to make room for others to join in your kingdom. Give us an eye to see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.